The Athletic. Honestly, the best moment of my life. There's no words, mate. Qatar pulled. Day 7 at the World Cup. Who can beat the Mexicans? Messi can. As he saves his side from failure. Elsewhere, the big story is Australia, who beat Tunisia by the seat of their pants. And meanwhile, already through, are France. Uh, we round up all of Saturday's action and look ahead to Sunday with the next big side on the brink, Germany. It's totally at the World Cup, sponsored by LiveScore Bed. Day seven listener, hello to you on our totally. We've got Michael Cox and Dom Fifield. Hello, guys. Hi, James. Hello. Also joining us later, Samantha Lewis on the Socceroos and Raphael Honigstein on what's coming up for Germany. But uh, yeah, nice to see you, Dom and Michael. We've not spoken since the World Cup began a week ago. What have you made of it so far, Dom? Well, I've enjoyed it from afar. I think the football's been really interesting. It's, you know, obviously you get, you get slightly obsessed with the England thing just because you, that's what you largely um, I've been covering. Um, but it's been nice to, to to watch the French in particular and and to see some of the you know the subplots of the to the World Cup. It's great group stage. It's it's always intriguing. I'd like to I'd like to know what it's like out there, mind. Um, I'd, I sort of wish part of me wishes I was out there experiencing the World Cup firsthand. Michael, tell him negative things about the Qatar experience so <laughs> Do Dom will feel better. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a mad world. It's it's quite chaotic. I've I've gone through several emotions since I've been here, but I think the overriding one is just a sense that this this really is one of the maddest things that's ever been organised. Really, I mean, it's just the scale of things and the construction of these stadiums that are really only designed for this four week period. And the number of people that are here and, you know, the England game yesterday, there were 70,000 people just absolutely in the middle of nowhere, just in this <laughs> kind of ghost stadium in the middle of the desert. Right. It is quite bizarre. But I mean, the, the unquestionably good thing about the experience is you can go to multiple games in a day and lots of people have been doing that. So in that sense, it is a, it is quite a unique World Cup. It almost feels to me. It almost feels more like an Olympic Games than the World Cup, if that makes sense. Mm. It's it's all in one city. It's people going to games that they're not necessarily as invested in as you might expect for a World Cup. They're kind of just going because it's down the road and you can go. Um, but yeah, it is quite a weird world. I think it's fair to say. Okay, you went to both games in Group D today. Is that right, Michael? Yeah, that's right. Excellent. All right, uh, those Group D games in full. Australia beating Tunisia one nil, with later on France with a 2-1 victory over Denmark, which makes the world champions the first team through to this year's knockout stages and also the first reigning champions to qualify for the next tournament's knockout stages since 2006, which is crazy. Now, elsewhere in Group C, and I think this is where we're going to start, you had Poland beating Saudi Arabia 2-0 and this evening, Saturday evening, Argentina also with a 2-0 win over Mexico. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. There you go, Argentina 2, Mexico 0. My mum always used to tell me not to leave a messy room and now Mexico know why. What did, what did you make of him stepping up to seize destiny in his little fingers 
well, he, he he wrote the script, didn't he? It was pre-written for him, perhaps. It's he struggled through most of the first half, but then you know Argentina was slightly better after the break, slightly better, slightly more slightly more urgency to them. And Herrera, I think it's Herrera, just 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 leaves him for a, a split second, almost like he's tried to catch a breath. Um, he looks up, and Messi's actually stayed still, whereas Herrera has continued his run towards the edge of the box, and Messi has this little pocket of space that he exploits and it's still an incredible finish I mean it's an absolutely fantastic but trademark finish into the corner and I think it actually hits the inside of the side netting it doesn't it's it's just beautifully beautifully placed but yeah I mean the the outpouring of emotion and relief really around that stadium amongst the Argentinian support and the team was 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 palpable Mm. they seem to kick it up a, a gear or two Argentina after that yeah, I think so. Uh, the first half was so scrappy, wasn't it? it? I mean, I know Mexico are not a, a South American side, but it it reminded me of the rare times when I do watch one of those South American World Cup qualifiers. And it's just not that much football played. It's just all in the midfield. It's all scrappy. It's all aggressive. I think there were two or three shots in the first half. Right. Lowest um, combined first half XG of the tournament, 0.28. 16 <laughs> fouls in the first half uh, between Argentina yeah. and Mexico. Yeah, that sums it up. And afterwards, I thought it was it was just really about individual quality. I think Argentina just have the better players and the more there was space for them, the more that paid off. So yeah, I must say, I tend to watch games hoping there'll be a bit of a surprise, a bit of an upset. But deep down, I'm not sure I wanted Argentina to lose and go out here. I, I do want to see Messi in the final stages. I do want to see how that uh, how that plays out. So... Yeah, I was quite pleased Argentina won this, I must say. How much is Messi the face of the tournament out there, Michael? Um, not particularly, I would say. I haven't seen him particularly prominent more than other players. Um, there seems to be a bit more hype and attention around Mbappe, I would say. I think is seemingly regarded as the new best player around and it's, it's kind of played in quite an entertaining way. And I think Neymar, in a broader sense, I know he's he's got injury problems at the moment, but I think there's a sense with Neymar that... It, this is more important to his kind of legacy. I think regardless of what happens for Messi in this tournament, he'll be regarded as one of the greatest of all time. I think for Neymar, it could be the kind of difference between him being seen as a player who didn't quite make the most of his potential and if he was to win it as as one of the best players of this generation. So, no, I haven't seen that much of Messi, actually. I mean, even with Ronaldo, obviously there's the, the speculation around his transfer. So it feels like Messi's, in a way, playing... Uh, fourth fiddle to those players interesting well he opened the scoring here and certainly uh, put Argentina on their way how about Enzo Fernandez's goal though Dom yeah lovely finish again just given a bit too much space and and curled it in beautifully uh, into into the top corner but at that point I mean you just didn't I didn't see Mexico scoring it, it felt a bit like that all night to be honest they, they they were very frantic and they pressed all over the pitch or tried to but they didn't have any cutting edge at all and Actually, the more and more I see of Raul Jimenez, it's slightly painful watching these days, remembering what a good player he was not not that long ago. And obviously he had his injury problems and he just doesn't look the same. And they always looked a bit lost in the end. Um, but I mean, the whole thing was very panic driven. It was it was laced with panic throughout. And But, but as Michael says, the, the little bits of quality came from Argentina. Mm. Well, so much pressure on uh, the Albi Celeste with this with this prospect of uh, crashing out of the tournament, of Messi's last tournament, if things had gone badly against Mexico. Mexico did have 
the odd kind of glimmer of a possibility of a, of a chance in the first half. With that goal, with this win, do you see them flourishing, blossoming into a, a proper contender? They've they got that potential to do that. Yes, definitely. I can see them winning the group. Mm. I can see them beating beating Poland in their in their last fixture. Then they go into that second phase, that the knockout, with confidence, with belief, and and yeah, with a bit more momentum behind them. I guess um, it's. I think I think it when you've been on a thirty five, I think it's thirty five un, unbeaten run. I think it doesn't take an awful lot for the confidence to come flooding back. I wouldn't have thought. Um, and it may be that that game against Saudi Arabia will be looked at in a complete isolation, uh, in a couple of games' time, we'll be we'll be looking at a real Argentinian team that's that's pushing forward and allowing Messi to express himself properly. Michael, do you see a contender in that side? Yeah, I do. In a way, I don't think they've done that much wrong throughout this tournament. Really, I mean, they haven't conceded many chances at all. I thought Saudi Arabia just took two opportunities brilliantly in the first game, but I do think they've. They look relatively solid. They're growing into the tournament. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but quite often the eventual winners start quite slowly in the group stage. Um, so, yeah, I do think they're in good shape. The only thing I'd say is they are depending on individual magic in the final third. I mean, maybe they can get goals from set pieces or or kind of other slightly unglamorous sources, but I don't see that much level of attacking interplay and cohesion in the final third. But yeah, defensively, I think they look relatively strong. OK, they're currently in second place in the group on three points alongside Saudi Arabia. Poland top in the group right now with four. Mexico with just the one at the bottom. Mexico will face Saudi Arabia in their third match and even a win may not be enough to see them through to the knockouts. Oh, let's talk about Saudi Arabia and what they did this Saturday against Poland. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LifeScore Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad, and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LifeScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LifeScoreBet.com or by downloading the LifeScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Saturday afternoon, Poland 2, Saudi Arabia nil. Zielinski with the first for the Poles, the second from this man. Lewandowski! Lewandowski, yes! Ma, 
Mato, Mato pierwszą bramkę w finałach Mistrzostw Świata. Ma, trafił, kapitan Robert, jest, jest ten gol. Wow, emotional scenes after that. Big Lewandowski, his first World Cup goal ever. He said afterwards, because you probably saw this, he collapsed on the turf and was like prone there for a bit, just taking it all in. He said, I, it's difficult to explain why my emotions were so strong, but I've been dreaming about this since I was a child. Mm. Not sure if he dreamt that Saudi Arabian error, which you know set him up so nicely to, <laughs> to break his World Cup duck, but a nightmarish stuff, of course, for the, uh, not quite the host, but neighbours of. Uh, yes, what did, what did you make of Poland? I thought it was about more about Wojciech Szczesny than, than than the Poles than the Lewandowski at the other end. That, okay. that double save from the from the penalty and the second save in particular, more than the first, was absolutely unbelievable. Um, and for him to have kept two clean sheets, I think he's the only goalkeeper to have kept two clean sheets at this tournament so far. Um, it, it was it was staggering, really, really, really brilliant uh, reflex action to, to 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 push the second one away. And then, yeah, I mean, when when they beat the press, they did what Argentina couldn't do um, in in the first game. They, the, the first the first goal in particular, just with a slightly longer, more direct approach, beat midfield, and and they got in behind that way, and mm. and, and it worked. Matty Cash to Lewandowski, who couldn't quite control it, but then was able to turn and fire it back to the oncoming Zielinski, and that was one nil, and then. The second goal, as we mentioned, from Lewandowski himself. Saudi Arabia with a, a sort of taste of their own medicine after, no, against Argentina. Argentina had all the shots, but Saudi had two chances or three possibly and scored both of them. This time they had 20 chances and lost 2-0. And Poland, who saw a penalty saved from Lewandowski in their first game against Mexico, this time with, as you say, Dom, Chesney doing the same for them. That was a 1-0, wasn't it? So that was a big moment for Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Absolutely, and and just before half time, had had the Saudis drawn level, then you you know they might have carried more of a threat in the second half. Still, more belief certainly going into that second period. But but it, it really it, I can't underestimate. It was absolutely astonishing the second save. I mean, it's all very well saving a penalty, fantastic. But then to actually get up and push the the the, the second attempt over the bar. Well, yeah, fair play. Didn't do that in his Arsenal days. Did very often, did he? Mm. Wojciech Szczesny then, and Poland topping Group C. Let's get on then to Group D. Group D, everybody, has got Denmark and Tunisia on one point. In second place, Australia on three. And topping the pile, France with six points and already through to the last 16. France beating Denmark today 2-1. Michael, you were there. I was, yeah. I'd say maybe relatively typical of games at this tournament. Essentially, the first half wasn't that interesting and the second half opened out a lot. Um, but France were the better side. They were quite exciting, I thought, throughout the game. Whenever Mbappe or Dembele get the ball, um, you just feel like things are going to happen. I think Griezmann as well is playing his role quite well I think he has to play a bit deeper because there's essentially three attackers in the side but I also think there are some question marks about France I mean it's quite rare they've played with three real attacking players behind a main striker as they're doing here the last World Cup they had Matuidi who was kind of tucked in from the left side and offered more defensive balance and I did think at times Denmark just got at them quite easily 
And as exciting as they've been, I do sense that at some point Deschamps will introduce another central midfielder, probably at the expense of Dembele, which would be really harsh on him because I think he's had a really good tournament so far. But he is a safety first manager. And I think against the the real big boys, when you can't afford any slip-ups, it feels to me like France will take a little bit of a backwards step. Wow, that would be a shame to see him go out of the picture. As for Qatar's very own Kylian Mbappé, what did you feel about his performance, Dom? Well, he was irresistible, as he has been in both the games, to be honest. Um, the, the couple of goals that he's scored have taken to seven World Cup goals, and bearing in mind he's 23 and he's barely played in the tournament, in two tournaments, that's pretty good going. Do you know who's the only other player to reach that total before the age of 24? Uh, Go big. I see it's Pelé. It's Pelé. That's what we're talking about here. Pelé. (laughs) Not bad. He's got 31 goals for France. He's 23 years of age. This is Mbappe we're talking about. The next highest scorer for France at that age in history was David Trezeguet. He had 16. Mbappe on 31. Sorry, Don, back to you. Look, I mean, the numbers... They 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 reflect what how good he is really. It's only just Fontaine who's scored more for France at, at World Cups. It's so it's just Fontaine. You don't need to say only in no. that. <laughs> 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 anyway. <laughs> When's kick off in the next game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So he's quite decent. <laughs> um, but I, I, I agree with Michael as well. On I thought Griezmann was was tremendous in in a slightly different role to to one that he's used to playing. That was his twenty sixth assist for France. Apparently he's, he's level now with Zinedine Zidane in in that stat table. Going forward, they're frightening. Usman Denali was superb on the right, really tormented uh, the Danes all evening. Um, and it would be a shame if the conservative nature of Deschamps comes through and they and they bring in a say a Fofana into into midfield to to sit alongside Chumani and 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 Rabiot for the the knockout phase. But you know. They're not bad guys to throw on. If you if you threw on a Dembele late in the game to stretch it, I think it would it would be fairly difficult for opponents, tiring opponents in the heat, to to deal with. After Mbappe's first goal, uh, Andres Christensen equalised for Denmark. Some felt he should have been off uh, already at that point. Dom, no, I didn't think so. I thought there were there were two Danish players on the cover, and he was still quite a long way out. I, I know we we look at Mbappe and we know that Mbappe can can burn through and, and, and it has got that pace to take him away from a from a back line but mm. but he was so far out. Uh, it was a very cynical foul, but it was probably a quite a, a good foul for him to commit at that point. The the journalist sitting next to me watched the replay of that and turned to me and said, How on earth is that not a penalty? Um <laughs> Where was I, the I, foul, Michael? Well it was a good twenty yards outside the box. Right. Um I can't. I mean, I'm not sure she was suggesting a, a change to the rules, but I mean, it kind of does make sense when it's such a cynical foul like that. It's it should be more than a yellow card. There should be a a stronger punishment because at the end of the day, the the defending player is taking the yellow card, and if the if the punishment for the crime is is kind of worth taking, it's um 
It's, it's, yeah, it's not rewarding good football, is it? Right. People often make the inverse argument that a lot of fouls in the penalty box aren't really worthy of the mm. penalty of an, whatever the XG of a, a penalty shot is, but pretty much a goal. So if, if you want to take the automaticness of the penalty for a foul in the box, maybe you want to assign it to really egregious bits of play outside it. But anyway, that's one for Arsenal to consider for next time around. You were saying about how, like many games, this one was a bit slow in the first half. How about this? Uh, we've now had 24 games at this tournament. Exactly half of them have been goalless at half time, And about only about 30% of the goals scored so far in, in Qatar, which I, I make 57. Only 19 of those have come in the first half. What, what do you think the reason for that might be? I'm not sure. I'd be interested to see a comparison with other World Cups. I feel like international tournaments in general can be a little bit slow to get going. And I feel part of that is probably the fact that all the games are played on neutral ground. Um, I think when you don't have one side who feel kind of compelled to take the initiative, sometimes you can get a bit of a standoff. And I must say, one of the disappointing things about this World Cup has been the atmosphere, really, and the lack of the lack of people in the ground. And, you know, if we go back to a couple of years ago when when games were played behind closed doors and I think everyone agreed there was a little bit of a, a sterile feel about them, it's not quite that level. But it does feel like teams are kind of playing their way into these uh, games. And I think there's another issue as well with that, you know, these teams only had a week's preparation. Most of them didn't have a, a pre-tournament friendly or two to get in the groove. And at times it feels to me like the first half almost has been the pre-tournament friendly and teams are really kind of just gradually warming up. The second halves, I think, by and large, have been very good. I know there's been a couple of games that finished 0-0. But yeah, the, the first halves in general, I think if you'd skipped all the first halves, you, you wouldn't really have missed too much in this tournament so far. Mm. On the subject of atmosphere, the, the uh, Lusail Stadium with uh, Argentina-Mexico this evening was uh, sounded absolutely amazing france though uh, this game against denmark anything but a gimme given what the danes had done to france of late beating the moment away in the nations league not least so with this performance what does that tell you about their role their prospects for this tournament well, psychologically it is important and significant for france to have to have overcome the danes as you say i mean i think it's the last time france beat them in a competitive game was way back at euro 2000 so it's They've broken through that barrier now. They've it will do wonders for their belief. I thought it was quite significant also that Rafael Varane got seventy five minutes of that game, because there is a suggestion and a feeling I think out there that they've got a bit of a soft underbelly. They they haven't got the Angola Kante figure uh, that they had at the last World Cup. Um, the the, the centre halves who played the, started the first game I think had nine caps between them going into that match. Um, so. Having a Varane figure coming back into the side and, and hopefully rebuilding his, his fitness having after the hamstring trouble with United is also significant for Didier Deschamps. But I mean he's he's in a position now, a rare position where he can just he can he can almost rest players for that last game because it's they've pretty much won the group now. Um it would it would take something pretty remarkable for them not to, to go out as group winners. So maybe we'll see Varane get a bit of time again, but but other players, some of the fringe players, maybe Fafana in there in midfield as well, just getting a run out. There you go. Three big points for France, qualification, and as far as I know, no big injuries this time around. Uh, they are on six points in second place and now needing just one point from their final game against the Danes to be through to the last 16 are Australia after they defeated Tunisia. 
a quite remarkable result for the Australians. Joining us now to give us some perspective on what it means to that nation is ABC Australia's Samantha Lewis. Samantha, thank you for joining us. First World Cup win since 2010. First clean sheet at a World Cup since 74. How were you at the final whistle? I was beside myself. I was in tears. A lot of other Australian journalists were in tears. Graham Arnold, the head coach, was in tears. The players were in tears. It's a really important moment, this win, not just for the stats that you just mentioned, but also just in terms of the culture around Australian football at the moment. Uh, This Socceroos team has been through so much over the last couple of years. They had to really struggle through their qualifiers. They played the majority of them away from home due to COVID restrictions and lockdowns. They spent weeks at a time in hotels. They had to go through the intercontinental playoff route in order to get here at all. So the fact that they're here in itself is kind of miraculous, given everything that they've had to struggle through. But to now get this win under their belt and the way in which they won it, I think is what is really special and is something that is going to stay in the sort of collective memory of of football fans in Australia for a really long time. Mm. You're now a point away from the last 16. Among the things that will probably be in that collective memory for a while, uh, Mitchell Duke's extraordinary header. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Of all the Socceroos players, I'm so deeply joyful that this moment is for Mitch Duke. Mitch Duke has a story that really encapsulates, I think, not just the Socceroos, but Australian football in general. He's 32 years old. This is his first World Cup, a World Cup that he never thought he would ever make it to. He comes from a big family in Western Sydney and has been doubted his entire career. The only person that has really shown faith in Mitch Duke has been Graham Arnold. He was the first coach to cap Mitch Duke at the professional club level at the Central Coast Mariners in the A-League. And he brought Mitch Duke into the Socceroos fold at the start of their qualifiers. And he's now emerged as one of the, the team's top scorers. And now with this winning header, he has gone down in history as just the eighth male Australian to score in a World Cup. He is the complete embodiment of the, the fight and the fire and the resilience and, and the determination that all of these Socceroos players have in, in their own kinds of ways. So for him to have this moment, to be able to share it with the people around him who have helped him to get him to this point is incredibly special. Mm, including his, his young son in, in the stands uh, uh, we, were, we were seeing on TV. It was an extraordinary header. Tim Cahill, I think, w- would have been proud. What, what about Harry Souter uh, with his last-ditch tackle as well? Oh, my gosh. That tackle is going to stay in my mind for the rest of my life. It, it, I actually, in, in my analysis piece off the back of this game, I open it with that tackle because it said so much about this game and so much about the identity of this Socceroos team. It's the 85th minute. Kai Rolls, his centre-back partner, loses the ball in, in the bright sky of Doha and Tunisia looked to be off and away, but Harry Souter, all six foot seven of him, just barrels across the field and makes this incredible last-ditch tackle to sweep the ball clear and to charge back up the field. It just, it said so much about what this Socceroos team is, who these people are, what they stand for, which is, has always been this underdog mentality. It's been this never-say-die kind of philosophy. It's been 
fighting until the absolute bitter end and even further than that if your legs can take you there. So Harry Sutar being able to do that in just his third start since tearing or recovering from a torn ACL, you wouldn't have known it. He was an absolute man mountain. And Jackson Irvine, his teammate after the game, said that it was one of the best performances he's ever seen in a soccerer's jersey. And I think a lot of people who watched that game can probably agree. Sutar was just phenomenal. Well, it was magnificent. Now, though, the Socceroos have to do it all over again in the final group stage game against Denmark. You need a point. Funnily enough, the last World Cup group that you were in, 2018, was also with France and Denmark. The only point that you got in that was against the Danes. How do you feel about this time? Look, I'm quietly confident. Now that we've seen how we can play and the kind of fight we can show against a Tunisian side who are incredibly well-disciplined defensively, who are really capable of breaking forward in transition and attacking uh, the, the areas of the Socceroos that we always thought were vulnerable and are able to come away with a win, I think is incredibly galvanising, not just for the group of players, but also for the community who sort of came into this World Cup really doubting that the Socceroos would be able to do anything, considering all the stuff that they had been through and considering that really since the golden generation of players, you know, you have Harry Kules, you Kim Cahills, you Mark Dukas, Nobody really knew who these soccer players were. But this win against Tunisia, I think, really reminded the country and reminded the world of, of what this team stands for and who they are. So coming into this game against Denmark, I think there is absolutely a quiet confidence now around camp and around journalists and around the fans of the soccer that we could potentially get something from it. And the fact that we are going into it with our destiny in our own hands needing either a win or a draw in order to get through to the round of 16 for just the second time in our history is incredibly exciting. Samantha Lewis of ABC Australia. Michael, you were there in the vicinity of Samantha and and presumably a whole coterie of uh, Aussie journalists. What was it like at the final whistle? Yeah, it was good. I think I was actually sitting behind Samantha. We've not met before, but... I think she had a bit of a moment at full time, as a lot of the Australian journalists did, because I think they came to this tournament probably with not great expectations. And I must say, it felt like an away win in terms of the style of the performance, but also just in the fact that Tunisia, to me, seemed to have more fans here than any other nation. I mean, they were they made an incredible noise throughout that game. Um, and the way Australia won it with... Uh, with a headed goal in the first half and then a bit of a back-to-the-wall performance in the second. Um, yeah, it almost felt like, felt like an away kind of Champions League win, if that makes sense. You know, not a, not a technically brilliant performance, but in terms of doing the basics right, you know, their penalty box defending, the way that Aaron Moy played, the work rate of their forwards to get back behind the ball and make it difficult for Tunisia to break them down. Um, yeah, they were really impressive, actually. I must say, I'd... I'd I came into this tournament almost writing Australia off because, you know, you look at their squad, it's not it's not a great squad for Australia's standards. You look at the way that they qualified, they really squeezed through in the playoff. But I thought they stuck well against France in the opening game. And in this game, I think uh, by the end, they, they deserved the win because they really denied Tunisia any clear-cut chances. Mm. For anyone who didn't see the goal, by the way, I, mean, I say it was a header, but it was kind of, it was more than just a header, eh, Dom? It was fantastic because the cross is actually deflected, so that some of the pace is taken off it almost. And well, he also sets the manoeuvre up, doesn't he? When he 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 leaps in in midfield and 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 does a deft touch to to find a teammate, and then bombs up what about forty yards upfield yeah, to be in up time top. to 
to glance it in off the back of his head. Yeah, well, sort of slightly more, slightly more than the glance, wasn't it? Because he, he managed to get enough power on it, and as well as the angle and the direction, it was. I mean, it was it was fantastically guided, I suppose, but but awkward for him to have mustered that 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 both the direction and the and the strength onto it. But yeah, fantastic finish and lovely celebration as well with the with the J for his his son up in the stands. I don't think he saw him, did he himself? But but uh, his son was certainly gesturing Jay back to his dad. Mm. Touching scenes. Touching scenes and all of Australia getting misty-eyed then. they still got to do it against the Danes. What do you think? Can they get a point against Denmark? The thing about Denmark is that they, they do everything really well until the final third and, and the, the lack of a striker. They're still relying on a fellow that was bought by Cardiff City when they got promoted in 2013 up top and got sold before the end of that season I think I mean it's they went through all their striking options tonight and, and didn't really come up with somebody <laughs> that was was going to lead the line efficiently but I, I suspect the Danes will cause Australia problems on set plays and stuff like that and that might end up see them edging edging through uh, but it is a you know where Denmark had un, unruffled the, the French in the Nations League you know the French were all flamboyant and the, the Danes just were resolute and strong and industrious and Little flashes of quality from Ericsson unlocked unlocked the French ultimately. This is going to be a, two, a meeting of two teams that are, are both industrials, are both strong and physically up for it. And it's you know that that I suppose will give the Australians heart that it may just can they may just cancel each other out. Mm. All right, well that game is coming up on Wednesday, as is the other uh, third round game in that group. Uh, let's talk though next about what awaits on Sunday in groups E and F. Incredible game. When they play with a false nine, it changes everything. A false nine, eh? What's that then? Well, it, it's um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's what well, he's, he's a nine, but he's not really a nine in the area. And uh... oh, uh, sorry, I just got to take that. Urgent football question? Call the Athletic Emergency Football Hotline 0800 433 433. News, insights, analysis. The Athletic. Know the game. Love the game. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Sunday's action, Group F versus Belgium taking uh, on Morocco at 1 o'clock UK time. Morocco, who drew with Croatia in their first game. Belgium, who were lucky to get past Canada. Uh, Croatia and Canada will be facing each other Sunday afternoon at 4. A game for which John Herdman has already done Croatia's team talk for them. (laughs) By saying Canada are going to F Croatia. The Croatian press haven't taken too kindly to that. Neither did the Croatia manager, etc. We'll see how it, how motivated Croatia will be. Probably quite a lot uh, on Sunday at four. Group E, meanwhile, sees Japan up against Costa Rica. That's the early game. Can Japan follow up their incredible Germany win? What state will Costa Rica be in after that seven-nil spanking from Spain? A win will take Japan through to the last 16 if Germany failed to beat Spain because that's the other game in Group E. Spain against Germany, perhaps the most highly anticipated group stage matchup of the entire 2022 World Cup, particularly after what happened to Germany in their first game. It lose this match and the Germans will be out. And we've got Raphael Honigstein for quite possibly the last time on this show, this tournament, on the line. <laughs> Raphael Honigstein, hello. Hello, James. Hello. Raphael, let's see. Uh, beaten by Japan, teammates attacking one another, bogey team Spain up next. If we if we had to construct a worst-case scenario for Germany's next World Cup game, this would be pretty much it, right? It'd probably be Italy uh, at the World Cup. But yes, it doesn't get much worse. Uh, Flick said the situation is bad. He admitted that, but he... F- was putting a brave face on, saying that he's optimistic, that Germany can play well, that they can be full of confidence. But yeah, it doesn't make for the most suspicious of preparations, I think. No, I do not. Post-game after the Japan match, you had Gundogan and Neuer amongst those, saying that not everyone had been showing for the balls, some didn't want the balls, said Gundogan. Who were they talking about? They never specified names. I think they were referring to the players ahead of them. So the likes of uh, Müller and Havertz and uh, maybe Musiala before he came off. According to Havertz, he felt that some of the criticism was constructive, that people didn't take it personally, that nobody was angry in his words. Uh, But there was a frank exchange. And I think there's a lot of potential for things to go bad if uh, indeed they have a bad game because there is clearly a little bit of finger pointing going on. It's down to Hansi Flick to make that all somehow come together. Um, I noticed that uh, Oliver Bier of the 
Germany's sporting director, said the situation is not like 2018 in the sense that there you had a real split and uh, a disunited dressing room. He felt it wasn't the case, that the team spirit was good. But I think that will be tested tomorrow, especially if they were to have a poor start. I can see things going quite badly very quickly. Mm. And of all the opponents, as I say, Spain. Can you, can you explain the context of why Spain is such a bogey team for Germany? Well, Spain stood in Germany's way when Germany was still very good uh, at this uh, tournament business. In 2008, they beat them in the final of the Euros. In 2010, they beat them in the semi-finals of the World Cup in this year's Nations League or last year's Nations League. Beat them 6-0 in Seville in one of the worst games of the late Yogi Löw era. And their overall record is, is not great, uh, the Germany's. So not a side that they traditionally tend to do well in. Having said all that, I think Spain are still a bit young, are still a little bit inconsistent. Uh, you've seen the results, you've seen the performances over the last uh, couple of years or so. Work in progress under Luis Enrique. And maybe Germany, if the stars align and everything kind of works for them in the way that it didn't in Japan, have a chance. But I don't think it's a particularly good one. So I would personally sort of give them maybe 20% chance of winning this game. Okay. So one last thing then, Rafa. If Spain have this incredible record against Germany, you haven't beaten them in a competitive clash since Euro 1988. If Spain looked brilliant in their opening game and you guys didn't, why might Germany defeat Spain? They might defeat them because they create lots of chances. That's not a problem. Yes, there's no centre-forward of top class, but we have enough forwards who do great things. Jamal Musiala was very close to scoring one of the goals of the World Cup history, probably. And I'm sure we'll, we'll play again uh, pretty well. I think Germany defensively should hopefully be better. And Spain, as I said, their results are a little bit indifferent uh, relative to their talent. They're a little bit young. I don't think they've, they're used to not playing without the ball. Germany will try to get the ball off them and see if they can do to them what, what Spain usually dish out to others. And let's see. I think you need to a lot of sort of situational luck in the game. You know, things have to break the right way. Germany need to get the right decisions by the referee, need to get the right moments of, of luck or, or bad fortune for the other side. And then maybe it can happen. But... I think the proposition of having to beat Spain in the second game of the World Cup in Spain, they can kind of afford almost to lose, but certainly a draw is, is a great result for them. Makes it even harder for Germany. All right. Well, we, we've certainly seen some plucky underdogs pull off upsets in this tournament already, Rafa. Maybe it'll be Germany's turn this time. Yeah, it'd be great. Raphael Honigstein. Well, as the Germans would say, the cow is very much on the ice for Hansi Flick's side right now. Du hast die Kuh vom Eis geholt. Hey, Michael. What do you make of Spain, by the way? The big score of, of, of the opening week, that 7-0 victory over, over Costa Rica. Was that the opponent, do you think? Or this Spain team, are they something special? I think they're a good side. I think... Of all the teams in this competition, to me, they feel most like a club side in terms of the cohesion they play with. 
And the impressive thing about them, and I, I don't really know whether this counts for anything when it gets to the latter stages in terms of who wins, but it feels like they can just bring in players and take out players and they pretty much play at the same level and in the same way. And I, I do think there is something impressive about that. Um, so yeah, I think it was part of the opponent. I, I think Costa Rica fell apart. I think when you look at the stats as well, it was a bit of a freak scoreline. Seven shots on target and seven goals, I think, which you're not usually going to get against Kilo Navas. Um, but they're obviously in a really strong position in this group, as are Japan, um, because not only have they inflicted a, a huge shock on Germany, they're now playing a side who, who seem a bit shambolic. And I'm not really sure how good Japan were, because I think they were very much second best in that first half against Germany. But that is the nature of the World Cup. You can have one result that doesn't go how you expect, and the entire group turns on its head. And it's it's great because this group seemed probably like the most predictable group coming into the tournament. I think we all expected Spain and Germany to get through it relatively uh, easily, um, but that's very much not the case now. And yeah, for Germany, it's a, a knockout game effectively just two games in. One reason why Spain might be so cohesive is the fact that they've called up a, a, a block of players from one club, Barcelona. I think they have eight Barcelona players, which I'm quite surprised that other managers haven't maybe gone down that route. But I, I guess it helps when you have a, a Barcelona with a La Masia, etc., uh, within your, your nation's precincts. Spain setting World Cup records for possession and successful passes in that clash with Costa Rica. <laughs> Dom, their passing map looked like a, a Jackson Pollock. <laughs> Is that just, uh, you know, group stage madness and then later on when the chips are down? We'll find out. We'll learn a lot about Spain in the Germany game, I imagine, mm. more than we did against Costa Rica, which ended up feeling a complete mismatch. Um, but I think, yeah, we'll, we'll, with with the the emphasis placed on on Germany to to get a result, I think, uh, yeah, there will be a proper test for for how good Spain actually are. Well, this time tomorrow, we'll, we'll we'll know whether they're proper contenders or not. Excellent. Well, it's interesting you say that about the possession and the passes completed, James, because. Usually, I mean, in Opta definition, those are the same things. You know, Opta's possession statistic is just calculated by the the share of completed passes. But now we've got this uh, contested possession stat <laughs> has come up on our screens. Have you have you discussed yeah. that before? No, no, we we've not. I, I don't know why not. Is, isn't it right <laughs> that now the possession is based on the amount of time on the ball? Yeah, right. Yeah, I believe you're right. And and I've had a few people complaining to me. I don't know why to me, as if I'm responsible <laughs> for it, but about this contested possession thing. But I kind of get it. I mean, if the goalkeeper launches the ball long and it's bouncing around in midfield and no one's getting the, the foot on the ball for 10 seconds, I agree that's not possession for either side. And mm. it's not it's not, not possession. It's, it is it is something which is basically just competing for the ball. So I quite like it. Although I do quite like it because it clearly has wound people up, which... Uh, I think is a quality in itself. Well, there you go. There you go. By the way, that exciting German phrase that I was using, that I only learned today, which is why I was so keen to get it in. It, it, that's what, when you when a crisis is averted in German, you say, the cow is off the ice. And you can see why that would be regarded <laughs> as, a, as a crisis in the making. Get the cow off the ice. Phew. We can all relax. So there you go. Will Germany get their bovine... Etc. Asses off the uh, yeah, and all that. Uh, we'll find out, as you say, Don. This time tomorrow, we'll know the answer to that and loads of other questions. And uh, the good thing is there'll be a, a totally football show to round up all of those answers for you. 
But I think that brings us to the end of today's edition. So many thanks to Dom and to Michael and to Samantha and Rafa and producer Charlie. And of course, listen, I was just getting to you, to you as well. Do join us Sunday night or Monday morning if you prefer. And we'll round up some more World Cup fun together for now from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.